Section 36 of A Minor War History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Brown. A Minor War History by Martin Alonzo Haynes. Letter 97. Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, July 4, 1863. I write on the blank pages of an orderly's book, which George Slade picked up. It is the only paper I have, as I lost my knapsack and all its contents in the battle day before yesterday. Our corps was engaged that day, and the 2nd Regiment was in the very fiercest of the fight and met its heaviest loss yet in any one battle. About 200 are gone out of our little regiment, but as usual, I came through all right. I don't know how I did it. While we lay supporting a battery, before we had fired a shot, one shell burst right in my group. The man who touched me on the right, Jonathan Merrill, had his thigh cut away, and the two at my left, Lyndon B. Woods and Sergeant James M. House, were very severely wounded, and I never had a scratch. Talk about luck. A little while after, we charged to save the battery, and it was a wild time, as many of our wounded were left in the hands of the rebels. No accurate list can be made now. Charlie Vickery and the 17th man in my company are killed. Vickery did not die until the 11th. Joe Hubbard, Lieutenant Dascombe, Frank Chase, and Johnny Barker are among the killed. Barker recovered from his terrible wound and lived many years with a trepping skull. Ed Keniston was shot through both legs. I blundered onto him in a field hospital near where we bivouacked. He was lying by a stone wall in a field packed with wounded men. He had lost everything but the bloody clothes he wore. I fixed him up in what I had left, filled my canteen with water and lay beside him with my haversack in which there happened to be a few really tasty pieces of grub. Ed wants father to go down and tell his folks it is only a flesh wound, and with a little assistance, he will be able to stand on his feet. George Slade wants me to send you this wayward rose that he picked up on the battlefield. The Johnny, who had the overhauling of my knapsack, got a fine picture of a certain black-eyed Yankee girl, but he didn't have the reading of any of her letters. A shell burst right on our collars early in the action, breaking the staff into three pieces. The batteries were so close together, some of them, that they threw grape at each other. I never was under such an artillery fire. Jen Sickles lost a leg. There was a great fight yesterday, but not over the same ground as the day before. The rebels made a tremendous effort to smash our lines, pickets charge, but were thrown back in great disorder and leaving a great many prisoners in our hands. We were not in it simply because they didn't happen to hit the part of the line we were holding, but struck a little to our right. Today we are waiting for something to turn up. Out to our front, the skirmishers are industriously popping away, but it is a little early for the real business. Before night, somewhere along the line, we will probably have a real old-fashioned Fourth of July celebration, with plenty of fireworks. The armies are holding practically the same lines we started in on here, but the advantage is surely with us. Our new recruits stood up to their work like men. None did better. I cannot write more now. But when this fight is over, and I can get my hands on some writing paper, I'll try to do better. Letter 98 Camp near Boonesboro, Maryland, July 11th, 1863 Knowing how anxious you must be to hear from me, and having a little spare time on my hands, I have traded a postage stamp for a sheet of paper and an envelope, and here I am. We've been doing some pretty tall marching since I last wrote. The rebels retreated from Gettysburg leaving their dead unburied and thousands of their wounded as prisoners. Our army started at once in pursuit, our corps being, I think, the last to get away. I had ample time to go at my leisure. 
over a good part of the field, and I got rid of that toothache that I told you about. For two or three days, I wasn't thinking much about my teeth. But when the strain was off a little, it all came back, and at last I got simply wild. Bill Stark, hospital steward, gave me some powder, morphine, I think, to tuck in, but I might as well have used so much flour. Our surgeons said they didn't have a pair of forceps in their entire kit that they could tackle that tooth with, so I started out to find somebody that had. I had determined, if necessary, to go into Gettysburg, or even to Baltimore, to find a tooth puller. The surgeon of one of the New Jersey regiments was my good Samaritan. He was all packed up, ready for a start, but he overhauled the mule's load, dug out some forceps that looked like a pair of tongs, seated me on a cracker box, and fastened on. That was the only time in my experience that it felt really good to have a tooth pulled. Our corps left Gettysburg at two o'clock on the morning of July 7th, and now we are lying out here somewhere within a thousand miles of Boonesboro, they say. We have had reinforcements enough to organize a third division, and it is said to be larger than the other two combined. We are being hustled around pretty lively, and we are likely to be rushed off in any direction at any moment. Last night we went into camp on Antietam Battlefield, and I had just got to sleep when we were tumbled out and started off again. I marched and marched and marched until I was completely fagged out. Then, Jess Dewey and I turned in by the side of the road, slept soundly and comfortably until morning, then raced on and caught up with the regiment. Just at this immediate time, Company 1 is a little top-heavy. Herm Sleeper and I are the only privates on duty, with five non-commissioned officers. The rest are used up and camped along the roadside, or in hospitals. The Army of the Potomac is doing some great marching and is in good spirits for a fight. We are sorry to lose General Sickles. He is very popular with the Third Corps, being very considerate in marching the men. Right or wrong, the average estimate of Bernie is that he classes his men along with his horses and mules. I do a little foraging now, but not as much as when in Virginia. But I pay for everything I get here, except apples and plums. While in Virginia, I enforce the principle of confiscation. I have fried apples about every day. I got a pound of splendid butter yesterday for 25 cents. And once in a while, I get a loaf of bread, some biscuits, or a pie. Just Dewey and I have made a calculation and find that since leaving Fullmouth, we have footed it about 300 miles. My load was materially reduced by the loss of my knapsack. I picked up another one, but all I am carrying in it just now is a single piece of shelter tent cloth. One of the bummers attached to the regiment found a cloth in a ditch at Emmitsburg, containing $200 mostly in gold. The finder was a disreputable camp follower, familiarly known as Culpepper, the brother of one of our officers, and there is reason to believe that his loot was the poor box at the convent at Emmitsburg. Letter 99 Camp near Sharpsburg, Maryland, July fifteenth, 1863 We are now lying in camp with the promise of remaining all day. Not a word have I had from you for many a day. We move so often and travel so fast that we cannot complain if the mail wagon doesn't catch up with us. The rebels have escaped across the river out of the net we boys fondly hoped had been thrown around their army, and now we are anticipating another series of hard marches. Yesterday morning our skirmishers advanced upon the rebel positions and found them abandoned, and the rebels across the river. This morning the Third Corps started at six o'clock and marched until two in the afternoon, with but one halt for a very few minutes for rest. You can be sure the man and horse who set the pace at the head of the column came in for the usual amount of cussing. The day, although cloudy, was very hot, and the road was lined with stragglers. We came pretty near having a wild riot here this afternoon. We were no sooner in camp than a settler pitched his tent close by and opened up for trade. 
Pretty soon there was a big crowd around his establishment, and some of the lawless began to steal and pilfer. He very naturedly tried to protect his property, and soon there was a wild tumult. It looked as if the guard that had been posted would have their hands full to save any part of his ginger snaps and cheese. The major of the 6th New York Heavy Artillery, a young bud with shoulder straps as big as a barn door, rushed down from their camp nearby and made himself conspicuous. His regiment had never seen active service, having done garrison duty at Baltimore and Harpers Ferry, and when he ordered his dirty old fighting men to go to their regiments, it was like waving a red flag before a bull. One of our small boys, a camp follower, told him to go to blank place. The major made a reach for the boy and missed connection, then foolishly chased him into our camp and caught him. Then somebody knocked the major down, and somebody else picked him up and pitched him out of camp. In a few minutes, his regiment was seen to be falling in, under arms, whereupon the 6th New Jersey Bugles sounded the assembly, and every other bugle in the brigade caught up the call. Just at this time, General French came tearing up, who listened to the Major's story and bluffly told him he had no business or authority in that camp, and that was the end of it. As we passed over Antietam Battleground today, where Hooker fought and the bridge Burnside carried by a charge, I have a rebel roundabout, cartridge box, and plate with letters CS on it. I enclose an Indian arrowhead I picked up in the road. It rains almost every day now and we must go to work pretty soon and pull up our shelter. Jess Dewey, Bill Pendleton, and I are hitching up together just now. End of section 36